The Old Testament reading is from 1 Kings, the third chapter. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may, be, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings, and made a feast for all his servants. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the second chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. The child Jesus grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As I began in the introduction to the service tonight, I said you're going to leave here knowing something that very few people in the world actually know, and that is the meaning and the purpose of all this universe and our part in it. I'm going to be using Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. 
I'd like you to turn to that, if you could, in your own Bible or the Pew Bible. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 976. As you're turning to that, let me introduce it with these words. Peter once referred to our beloved brother Paul and his writings, in which he said, there are some things hard to understand. This, no doubt, is one of the passages that Peter was probably thinking of. This is a tremendous passage. It's broad. It's huge. It's a sweeping survey of the entire universe, the entire beginning and end of it, and the very heart of it in Jesus. The ancient poet told a story about a man named Sisyphus who supposedly had offended the gods, and so his eternity was to be spent in meaninglessness by pushing a stone up the side of a mountain every day. But before he could get to the crest of the mountain and let it fall to the other side, every day the the stone rolled back down. For many people, that is what life eventually becomes, a meaningless life of toil and work with no real purpose for it at all. We're kind of hurtling through the eons of time and not knowing why we're here or what the purpose of anything is. Paul wants us to know the purpose. He wants us to see what the universe is all about and our very important role in it. So let's take a look at this grand overview of the universe and the purpose of it. And let's begin in verses 3 to 6. What a great way to begin this new year. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the beloved. All of us know the magnificence of the universe. We go out every day, we probably see it so often, we don't consider how how beautiful and significant it is. But the sun rises and it gives us light, it gives us warm clouds, bring rain for the earth and the soil. Uh, We live by far on the most amazing planet in the entire universe. And that's no accident at all. At night, we see the vastness of the universe. And we see the stars and the moon and the planets. And all of this points to the glory of God. Now, Paul says there are things in the what he calls the heavenly places. Uh, these are things which we as human beings will never be able to understand. But as God's people, we respect that. We're thankful for what we can know about the universe, but we know there are things in the heavenly places that are beyond our understanding, beyond our comprehension, and we give God all the glory for that. But there are some people who have no respect for God at all. They want to know everything about the universe, and they do learn many things about it. They want to know everything about the universe, but they don't want to know about God. And that leads to all kinds of wild speculation about where we came from, where we are, and where we are going. And especially the next questions are the ones that they refuse to consider. 
Why? What's the point of it all? What's the purpose? And they tremble at the words of Paul when he starts talking about things before the foundation of the world. But this is what God wants us to think about. He wants us to know that this is his universe. He made it. And even before he made the universe, before the foundation of the world, he had a plan in mind for us. The exact opposite of meaninglessness and purposelessness in this world. Instead of floating and flying through the eons of time with no goal, God had a goal. And that goal was for us to be holy, to be with him, to be united with him in every way. Sin is the opposite of that. Sin is a rebellion against the order of God's created universe. Sin is that which brings all sorts of ill will into the world. Selfishness, um, deceptiveness, uh, betrayal, and, and brutality, and the list could go on and on and on. God has, however, known that this would happen and the ugliness of it all, and yet still in his plan, he came, planned to overcome that in the sending of his son Jesus before the foundation of the world. Let's turn next to that. So we have the foundation, and now to the redemption of Jesus, verses 7 to 12. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. When Paul starts talking about Jesus and redemption, the Roman people would have immediately began to think about slavery. Up to 30% of all of the people living in the Roman Empire were slaves. Slavery was the economic engine of the empire. As the empire expanded with each conquest, it brought in all sorts of slaves. Slaves who went to work in homes, slaves who went to work on roads and buildings, slaves who went to work in the fields. Slavery erased your humanity. You didn't have a name, you had a number. Your genealogy was no longer remembered your father wasn't even discussed. The Romans said that a slave was a living thing. A, actually, they said a slave was a vocal instrument, a tool that could talk. That's the way they looked at their slaves. A slave desperately wanted redemption. A few could find it once in a while, but it was very rare. Sometimes a slave was allowed to work and earn enough money, and it took a lot in order to redeem himself. And to redeem his family was almost unthinkable. Every now and then, an owner coming to the end of his life and having a slave that he loved would redeem him in his last will and testament. So redemption was something that slaves really thought a lot about. 
Paul wants us to know, and Jesus said the same thing, that we are actually slaves. We are slaves. Jesus said in Romans chapter 8, he who practices sin is a slave to sin. Sin erases our humanity too. It erases our genealogy. It erases our heritage. It erases everything that's human and noble about us. We become a thing. We become purposeless, meaningless in this universe when we are lost in sin. And Jesus came into this world, as Paul said, from the foundation of the world, this was all planned. Jesus came to be the opposite. Not at all a slave to sin. Jesus was tempted by the devil, but he defeated those temptations. He was tested by the scribes and Pharisees, but they couldn't trip him up. He was tortured and put to death on the cross, but even in all of that, all things held together for him. He stayed together with his heavenly Father in his perfection and in his holiness. The centurion who was in charge of the crucifixion, one of my favorite characters in the New Testament, said, truly, this man was the Son of God. He is the sinless man for sinners slain indeed. This is our redemption. And Paul calls this a mystery. It is a plan to unite. It is predestined. It is God's will to unite all things to himself in Jesus. If people don't know that, they have no purpose in life. And the only thing that they end up doing is going for the gusto while you can because that's all there is. And as soon as sickness, as soon as trouble, as soon as death loom, everything falls back into despair. Jesus came to redeem us, to set us free. Imagine what it felt like for a slave to become a free person. That's what we are in Christ. And to be united to our Father in heaven and to have everything in our entire life fall into its proper place, to have meaning and significance in this world and in this universe and in this life. That is what Jesus came to do for us. Now, the third part, beginning at verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Do you notice how this passage follows the same outline as the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed? In fact, these creeds are basically a simplification of this beautiful teaching of the Apostle Paul. He begins with the foundation of the world, the creation. He goes on to the redemption of Jesus, and he closes with the Holy Spirit and the promises, the Word of God. Now, to know about the creation is one thing, and to know the redemption of Jesus is another. But we also have to ask ourselves, is it really in me? Is it in my heart? How can I be sure of all of these things? And that's where the work of the Holy Spirit comes into play in our lives. Jesus talked a lot about the Word. He talked a lot about the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Gospels are always showing us two things at the same time. One thing is the work of Jesus, obeying the Father, suffering, dying, rising again. 
But the other is the words of God the Father and the Holy Spirit teaching. He's like a carpenter who's building a house and people are watching him build this house and all along the way he's stopping and talking to them and explaining to them how this will be your house and how you will come to live in this house. The words of the Holy Spirit are critically important for us. And so we see this emphasized in the story we heard from the gospel today. The only point we have from Jesus' boyhood was when he was taken for the Passover celebration to Jerusalem. Even there, he stayed behind. Whether there was a miscommunication there or not, we don't know. But we do know it was his desire to stay behind and talk to the teachers of the law, asking and answering questions. It shows Jesus' focus on the Word of God. At one point in his ministry, a woman, hearing him teaching, cried out, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts that nursed you. With those words, Jesus paused and responded, Blessed rather are those who hear the words of God and keep it. He wasn't denigrating Mary at all. Mary's womb, Mary's breasts, Mary's body brought the Son of God into this world. But what Jesus was doing was showing us as something even more important. Now, if you want that Christmas miracle that Mary brought forth into this world, then it happens by hearing the Word of God and listening to it. As we come to the end of that earthly ministry of the Gospels, Jesus in His great commission says, go and make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There you see that creedal outline the same that we have here in Ephesians 1, and then teaching them all things I have commanded you to observe. It'll all happen by the Word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. This is a new year, and again, we are hurtling on through the eons of time. question is whether we are drifting away or toward God. And the answer to that dilemma is, what will we do with the Word of God? Will we ignore it or will we believe it? Jesus once said, if you being evil know how to good, give good gifts to your children, and after all, Christmas, a lot of Christmas has been about that, giving good gifts. But then he goes on to say, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to the one who asks him? Peter said that in the last days, scoffers would come to mock the word of God. But he also said that in the last days, God would pour out his spirit on all flesh. Both are happening right now. And so we see every year, every day before us, two roads, two paths. One is leading towards the suppression of God's word and to the rebellion against God's creation and foundation of this universe and the redemption that brings us back to it. And the other is, is spreading it and preaching it and teaching it and living according to it. This is the meaning for us of all the universe and of life itself. Jesus and his redemption are our significance. This is our freedom. This is our salvation. This is what brings all things that are broken back together to mend them again. 
Jesus, as the writer of Hebrews says, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this is what unites all the years of this world together for us. Jesus and his redemption, his forgiveness through his blood, his reuniting us back again to the Father and to all good things. In Jesus' name, we give thanks. Amen. Please rise.